This is KDX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Charles Feldman. All the talk in Southern California about the snow and a very rare blizzard warning going out to the local mountains. But many of us seem completely unprepared for the cold conditions. So why is that? Are we weather wimps or is it understandable? We'll go in depth. And we will also go to North Dakota. Why? Because the wind chill is really biting there as the Midwest faces a massive snowstorm. You know, we think it's cold, but North Dakota, we've got nothing on North Dakota. No, it's very cold there. Yes. Also today, we'll take a look at the major learning loss suffered by SoCal students as we preview our special KNX Town Hall later today, a generation lost. And live in studio with us will be a Hollywood legend who has a story to tell about her dog. She was the uh, only the casting director for both uh, movies you may have heard of, uh, Love Story and The Godfather. Yeah, I think I did. Love I, Story I think, and, I think and, were hits. and The Godfather. Yeah, no, I think so. Uh, very interesting person and a very interesting life, and we are going to talk about that with her when she comes in to the show a little bit later. But we start with what is on everybody's mind, the very cold storm beginning to bring us snow. With us on the line is Ryan Cattell, meteorologist for the National Weather Service from their Oxnard office, and Doug Shoup, who is a spokesman for the Auto Club of Southern California. Thank you both for being with us. Hello. Thank you. So, Ryan, uh, why is it, and that was the question that we posed at the very top of the show, why is it that, that people here in Southern California seem woefully unprepared for the kind of weather we're about to get and just briefly remind us of the kind of weather we're about to get? Yeah, well, um, I guess for your first question, we, uh, we are spoiled out here. Um, we tend to have pretty mild conditions, even in the wintertime when everyone's buried in snow. Uh, we could have nice Santa Ana's with the sunny beach days. Uh, but we do get our storms uh, and we have a, a pretty cold one on tap. Uh, it's kind of impacting the air right now, but really going to be focused Friday and Saturday. Uh, we're going to see a lot of rain um, up two to five inches uh, over most of the uh, LA metro area. Um, and then up in the mountains, uh, even up to 10 inches of rain. Uh, but most of that will be snow. Um, we're talking feet, several feet of snow up in the mountains uh, with snow levels kind of in that three to 4,000 foot range in general. So. A lot of areas will have a lot of snow. Uh, traffic and travel will just be a nightmare uh, Friday and Saturday. Just not a great day, not time, great time period to travel at all. Yeah, speaking of travel, uh, Doug Shoup uh, with us. Uh, obviously, uh, not a good idea to go traveling to the mountains. But what about in the other location? We're going to have some rain there, too. Is travel going to be dangerous uh, elsewhere, not just in the mountain areas? It absolutely could, Charles and Rob, and that's why the Auto Club of Southern California is just reminding drivers that when you head out during winter weather, you can't drive like you normally would when it's 72 and sunny here in, in Southern California. We're encouraging drivers to stay tuned to weather forecasts prior to any road trips and especially before driving in rural areas. Drivers should delay non-essential trips when the weather is especially bad and also follow all of the directions from local authorities and law enforcement. And before departing for your trip, you really should let people, others know what your intended route is, what your destination is, and your estimated time of arrival. Before we go back to Ryan, let me ask you another question, Doug. Uh, I've driven uh, in whiteout conditions, but a lot of people in Southern California have not. So what do you need to know if you find yourself in a car and, uh, you know, for whatever reason, you're still on the road and you've got blowing 
snow and and uh, it's just miserable out there and you really can't see much but you don't have perhaps the option of pulling over what what do you need to do well the best thing to do is if you absolutely cannot see the road in front of you you really should leave the roadway but if you must pull off the road you know wait for conditions to improve a little bit and try to pull off the road as far as you can preferably past the end of a guardrail now it's really best though to pull into a rest area or a parking lot get off the freeway rather than pulling over on, on the road's shoulder and also we're just encouraging people to not only prepare yourself if you have to drive by not being distracted, not driving if you're drowsy or sleepy, but also prepare your vehicle and your tires are critical to maintaining traction in winter weather conditions. So you want to make sure that they're properly inflated and that you have enough tread depth. If you don't know, place an upside down quarter in a tire tread. If you can see the top of George Washington's head, you really should replace that tire before heading out in these types of conditions. All right. Uh, quick question for Ryan. Uh, you know, we've got cold weather in other parts of the country, too. Is cold weather uh, different here than it is elsewhere because of the differences in how humid or dry our air is? Yeah, a lot of times we have our coldest conditions. It's, it's quite dry. <clears throat> and uh, as a result, just like when it's hot and humid, it feels warmer than it is. When it's colder and drier, it kind of feels colder uh, than it actually is. So uh, even though we get a lot of gripe that uh, we're, we're kind of wimpy when it's only lows in the 40s, it actually feels a little colder than it actually is reading. All right. Thank you. Uh, Doug Shoup with the Auto Club of Southern California. Also, Ryan uh, Kittle, meteorologist for the National Weather Service. Okay, so we have a cold weather in Southern California coming up, uh, but really cold weather in the frozen tundra that's the Midwest. <laughs> so we will go there next. Cold and already snowing on the grapevine on the 5, but it is far, far colder, I can promise you this, in North Dakota. So with us now from Fargo is attorney Wayne Carlson. Wayne, thanks for being with us. You bet. So uh, you bet. That sounds very Midwestern. I like that. You bet. So uh, how cold is it? Well, I'm working from home today, partly because I don't want to drive to the office because of the temperature. But I was looking uh, to walk my dog over my lunch break. And then I took a look at the weather app and it was minus seven Fahrenheit air temperature and minus 27 wind chill. So I think my dog would have been upset with me if I would have taken him <laughs> out, out. So I decided to pass on that. So yeah, you just don't go outside when it gets that cold because it's, it's dangerous. How long could you last outside if you had to go? You know, I actually do a lot of outdoor activities and in, in weather this cold. Um, but you have to be very careful to not have any exposed skin, obviously dress warm. Uh, even if you dress warmly, if you I have exposed skin on, say, your nose or your cheeks or something like that. You can get frostbite quickly. You know, we were talking, uh, Wayne, in the last segment about driving because people in Southern California, I know they all think they're great drivers, but the truth of the matter is that when a drop of rain falls, uh, drivers here really don't know what to do. And now we're expecting, in some places anyway, uh, snow and freezing rain. Are, are there tips maybe you can give people uh, for driving in bad weather like snow and whiteout conditions? Yeah, I I've, I have a lot of experience uh, with it. I've been caught in a number of snowstorms, and, and, and it can get very dangerous. I think uh, one thing that helps significantly, if, if you have the means to do so, is to have a uh, SUV or, or other vehicle with all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive 
it is very difficult to get around in this part of the country with like a two-door two-wheel drive sedan uh, so that is something that helps a lot um, there are apps that we all rely on which give uh, road conditions and and up to the minute and also have video from snow plows that are out on the road so you can kind of see the conditions um, the other thing up here where, where the local authorities kind of help, we actually have two freeway interstates that intersect in Fargo, and uh, they have what are essentially like railroad crossing arms, which go down over the freeway on ramps. And so at, from time to time, and it's happened a few times this winter, uh, the Department of Transportation will shut down the interstate highways, and then they will actually physically put the crossing arms down so people can't actually get out on the freeways. Once upon a time, I read a historical novel, and I'm not sure if this is true or not. It kind of struck me as I, w- I was a little skeptical, but I'm going to ask you, because you might know. Uh, in this story, the ship was trying to forge the Northwest Passage, and it was very, very cold, and they had uh, these uh, these sailors up on the deck. It was sit back in the 19th century. Sailors up on the deck went out in the cold, and their teeth exploded from the inside because it was that cold. What? Really? Can that happen? Is that a real thing? Their teeth exploded? Their teeth exploded because it was so cold. I find that one a little hard to believe. Okay, good. Then I'm not alone. I thought, it sounds wild, but I wasn't sure if something like that could happen. Because, you know, when we here in California, we, we get cold weather, but we can't even imagine what it's like unless you've been there where you are. We're, we're talking really cold, dangerously cold. So you've never, just to be clear about this, Wayne, you've never like been sitting with somebody, a friend or something, family member in very cold weather, and, in, and poof, their teeth exploded yeah. on you? No, that one has not happened to me. Yet. Okay, good. <laughs> that's good to know. I'll be visiting soon. <laughs> the the uh, uh, you know again when it gets really cold and in California, of course, really cold is defined as anything below seventy degrees Fahrenheit. It is <laughs> really cold. Uh, but you know, people do. You know, there's that whole thing about dry heat and dry cold, and it's different. But you've been out on on the West Coast, and you've been, and of course, you live in uh, uh, North Dakota. Does it feel different when it's cold there than it does when you're in other parts of the country world when it's cold? It does. I'd, I'd say the big factor with Fargo. So we're in the Red River Valley, which is a formal, former uh, glacial lake years and years ago. I mean, well, not years ago, centuries and centuries ago. Uh, and so it's very flat and we get significant winds. So, I mean, honestly, uh, just prior to Christmas this year, I went cross-country skiing for a couple hours in temperatures that were minus nine degrees air temperature, but it was dry and there was no wind and it was actually a pleasant morning. Uh, But you can have scenarios where maybe it's not quite that cold, but if the humidity is high and if the wind is blowing, um, that actually becomes more of a factor than the actual air temperature. You know, I I have trouble thinking of of minus nine being described as a pleasant anything a balmy day it's only (laughs) minus nine let's put on the swim trunks that's that's a pleasant morning to you is it minus nine yeah i you know you you tend to adjust your expectations it's it's similar i mean being in the mountains or out west um where it's dry um it it definitely uh, the uh, 
the cold feels a lot different than when you have the more higher humidity cold days that we often get here. Let me, before we run out of time, quickly ask you, you've mentioned your dog. A lot of people, of course, in Southern California have, have pets. Is there anything that a pet owner should know about if they have a dog and they want to take the dog for a walk, but if the temperature is, is not what the dog is used to, does that present a problem? Yeah, our dog is pretty hardy. He's a golden retriever, but when it does get down below zero, when we take him off for walks, we have actual little booties that look like tennis shoes almost that we put on his feet. And we put a, a vest around him uh, to keep him warm and keep his paws from freezing. But even then, we we really won't walk him for uh, a longer period of time when it gets that cold. All right. Thank you so much. Wayne Carlson, lawyer in Fargo, North Dakota, North Dakota, where it's really cold. The impact of the pandemic on kids is the focus of our KNX Town Hall at 5 p.m. A generation lost. And one of the major issues is learning loss for students. Joining us is Caprice Young, president of the Education Growth Group and a former president of the L.A. School Board. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. So this is uh, this is a very important topic to get into, and 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 it's top of mind for many many parents. How much was lost? But it's also, it seems to me, kind of a hard thing to quantify. How do we quantify the learning loss without it just being meaningless numbers? Yeah, you know that's that's hard. What we're seeing is attention spans are shorter, anxiety is higher, and grief is real and unaddressed. So it's not enough just to look at the fact that we have lower test scores and lower attendance and higher disciplinary challenges. We really have to look at the sort of the, the deeper things that are happening with our young people. Is there a difference in the way younger people, and by younger, I guess you can define it anyway, but let's talk about, I guess, elementary school kids. Is there a different way that they've been impacted by the pandemic and the, the fact that, that schools were shut for a long period of time? Is it different than the experience of, say, kids of junior high and high school age, and how so? Yeah, they have, there have kind of been three different impacts, each of those grade levels, if you want to talk about it that way. So the elementary school students have seen uh, a real hit on their basic skills development. The middle school students have been the hardest when it comes to emotional um, and identity-related issues um, with all of the isolation. And the high school students are troubled because they just have less time to catch up before it's all over. By all over, you mean school and then going to, if they want to go to college or a job or something like that? Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. I mean, if you're, if you're a third grader and you've fallen behind, you still have 10 years of K-12 education to, you know, to be used to catch up and to get where you want to be. But if you're a 10th grader or an 11th grader and you missed essentially two years of school, um, that puts you in a really different position. And I think that the number one most important thing that we need to do is to recognize that a lot of our students really need more time. I would say half of our students could use an extra year and we should create a way for them to take what I would call a pandemic gap year right now and not go into the next grade level, but have a, an individualized program for a year that helps them focus on the areas where they need to catch up, address social and emotional issues, and find some joy in learning. As the system figures out how to help these kids catch up, what can parents do with some of the other factors, like the emotions and the grief? 
I think that the most important thing that parents can do is to recognize it, not to not to brush it under the carpet, just say, you know, just say, you know, buck up and let's move forward, but really to recognize it and to validate the fact that um, that it's been a hard couple of years and that it's going to keep being hard um, as people, you know, as people get back into whatever the new rhythm turns out to be. And just that one step alone of acknowledging it, acknowledging that they may have been affected by it too, and talking about it is going to make the whole trauma piece um, much, much less, much less difficult. You know, I was thinking uh, the other day uh, about, uh, you know, kids of a certain age, they kind of want to be separated from their parents, right? They want to be with friends. They want to be in school. And the parents, frankly, want to be separated a bit from their, their <laughs> kids. Uh, but I'm wondering the the difficulty now of that separation, if there's a problem, because some parents, whether they wanted to or not, whether they liked it or not, ended up being sort of cloistered with their kids for a protracted period of time. Now they have to kind of let go so the kids can go back and be with their friends and go to school. But that must be tough on some parents. I think it probably is. And my recommendation to parents on things like that is that um, that they find constructive things for their young people to be involved in so that when the young people are spending time away from them, the parents are, are not worried about their um, their kids. So, for example, um, supporting them in getting involved with sports or a program in their house of worship or um, other kinds of other kinds of things that are organized activities separate from the parents that allow the students to have their own identity and grow on their own at the same time as the parents feeling good about the um, the activities that the students are engaged in. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Carice Young, president of the Education Growth Group. The Godfather regularly voted one of the best movies of all time. And the Paramount Plus TV show, The Offer, which was great, by the way, tells the story of how it was made. Yes. And by the way, uh, one of those at the center of that story is joining us now live in the studio, casting director, Hollywood agent and and has a book out. Uh, it's it's supposedly a children's book, but it really is for adults, too, I think. And it has to do with with her dog. And we're going to get into all of that, I hope. Andrea Eastman, thanks for being with us. Thank you. So uh, let, let, let me I'm actually going to start with the dog first and then we'll get to the stuff like the Godfather and all that. The dog is more important. The dog is more important. So so how how important first of all what kind of dog and how important was it and what did it have to do with your open heart surgery? Um the dog was a golden retriever. He was he was um he was my soulmate. I swear the dog he just read everything. He he was the most loyal, loving dog ever. And um, I had open heart surgery in 2020, and I wound up going back to the Beverly Hills Hotel, which, by the way, I could take off my insurance because because I was I was recovering. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> and this dog, his name was Trooper, and he would pray. The hotel was partially closed because of COVID, and Trooper would prance around with his leash in his mouth and. The whole staff adored Trooper, so they go, "Good morning, Trooper. Good morning, Trooper." And I had to lot to learn how to walk all over again with a walker, and my little route would be the lobby, and Trooper would be right next to me and looking at me. And if I stopped, he stopped. I mean, he just—it was like having a caregiver only was a dog, hmm. and he just—he was my soulmate. And I, 
I, I can't tell you what an incredible dog he was. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because I've had dogs and cats, and they do seem to have a knowledge, and I think you'll agree, when you're not well and when you need help, and they are there to help you. Is that the way it felt with Trooper? Yes. I don't, I don't think I would have healed nearly as quickly without the love of my dog. And um, I miss him terribly. He just... He was so funny. If, if anybody reads the book who's listening, they'll see real pictures of Trooper um, in the back. He would take, he would steal everything. Like there's a picture of him smiling, holding my sunglasses, and he would prance around with my slippers in his mouth, and and he would run behind the front desk every day. And he just was, oh my God, he was the he was the most amazing dog. Sandra, so how did it become a a book? And I mentioned it, it's ostensibly a children's book. But I think that adults can get something from it, too. Well, I think it's about loyalty and love. And, and you know, there was Eloise at the Plaza, and I thought, well, why not Trooper at the Beverly Hills Hotel? And this terrific woman, I didn't write it. It's my story. A woman named Susie McCauley. Susan McCauley wrote it, and it's illustrated. It's just, I don't know, it's a very heartfelt book. And luckily, it's gotten rave reviews everywhere. And so... Um, I'm very proud of it, even though I didn't write it. And, you know, it's something, it's Trooper's memory forever. And luckily it's not a Christmas book, so people can buy it. Anytime. Anytime. And and this is probably the hard part. I know it's hard for any pet owner, but uh, where is uh, Trooper now? Trooper's in heaven. All right. Um, now, let's talk about, because I know a lot of people who are listening to this, uh, if they're film fans, and even if they're not film fans, uh, you, your life has been, and, and I, I'm, you know, and I shouldn't even say your life has been. You're still alive. No, no, I, so your I, life I, is. I, I, I hope I'm still alive. Yeah, you are. No, you're very, I can attest to the fact you're very much alive. Uh, your life is a very interesting life. Uh, and for people who don't know, uh, although we mentioned it at the top, uh, you're the casting director for some of the, the, the most classic films uh, that Hollywood has produced, like Love Story and, and The Godfather. Uh, do you have, and you're probably tired of, of being asked this, but is there a favorite story that you had uh, as casting director for The Godfather? Um, there's so many stories, but I'll quickly share this story with you. <clears throat> for some reason, Al Ruddy, who I'm still very close with, the producer, uh, by the way, they, they say in the offer that I had a one-night stand with with Al, actually, it was a long relationship, and we're still really close. Ah, okay. Anyway, for the record. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> for the record. Anyway, he he invited me to go to lunch in New York with Columbo, the head of the mafia. In Joe York. Columbo, you're talking Joe about. Joe Columbo, yeah. sorry. And his bodyguard and our associate producer, and a man named Mr. Butter. So, Mr. Butter? Mr. Butter. Okay. So... so I don't know why I was there, but anyway, he was in this brown suit. He looked like an accountant. And somebody kept kind of threatening me, somebody named Mr. Dante, like if I didn't use him in The Godfather, you know, forget shooting The Godfather, and you got this girly. And I mean, the guy was like driving me crazy. So I was bored, so I'm talking to Mr. Butter, and I told him the story. And he goes, you want me to throw him out a window? <laughs> and I said, no, 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 you don't have to throw him out a window. So... I actually, I hope they didn't, because I never heard from the guy again. So That, that was, took care of that. That took care of that. I mean, mm -hmm. there's so many that's not really relevant to The Godfather. But 
you know, there, there are many amazing stories about The Godfather. We were all a family. You can deal with uh, a movie studio that may be opposed to the particular person or persons that you are convinced, for whatever reason, would be perfect for a role. And are there examples from The Godfather that you can give about that? Well, I have to credit Mario Puzo. It was his idea for Marlon Brando, and they didn't, the studio did not want Marlon because he had made some flops. He was expensive, and they just didn't see it. And I think this is known by most people that he did a silent test. He put um, cotton in his mouth and kind of just it was you know just moved his mouth around, and you could look at it and see it. And I happened to watch that test on a teeny little television. Um, with Charles Bludorn, who was the head of Gulf and Western. And, and I said to him, you know, Charlie, you can see it. It's right there. He can imagine him being the godfather. And they also didn't want Al um, Pacino because um, the test that was chosen, it was just a, like talking at the wedding, and he didn't, like, leap off the screen as somebody who could be dangerous and could be take over, you know, the family. So we watched Panic in Needle Park, and that's how Al got the part. And at some point they were talking about uh, James Caan was maybe going to take the lead role. <clears throat> yes, and I'll tell you why that happened. Because Francis had done what's called B-roll, where he lived in San Francisco, and Jimmy Caan leapt off the screen as Sonny. He was brilliant. And so we tested Jimmy on many times for Michael, and I... I really loved Jimmy. I just thought he was amazing. And then um, a poor a guy named Carmine Caridi met Francis in a bar in Brooklyn, and Francis said, you're going to be Sonny, but they never called me to make the deal. And so, um, so Francis goes off to Sicily, goes, I don't care, just cast my movie. And I was in a screening room with Charlie Bluter and Robert Evans, Stanley Jaffe, who was president, and me, little me at 20, whatever I was. And so <clears throat> we're watching it. So it's decided that Pacino's going to be Michael because he was brilliant. And Sonny uh, was going to be Carmine Caridi. And Charlie Bluedorn, who never got mad at me, was like, Andrea, Andrea, this is our most important movie. And we have this pipsqueak playing Michael and this big goomba playing Sonny. And I said, well, do you remember why we tested Jimmy Conn for Michael? Because he was that great as Sonny. So why don't we just go back to Jimmy Conn as Sonny and Al Pacino as Michael. And I remember like it was yesterday. And Stanley Jaffe said, no, you just feel sorry for Jimmy. And Robert Evans said, no, she's right. And that's how Jimmy Conn got the part. And I ran upstairs and made the deal. Let me ask you something, because you were you in your 20s, you said, right, when you were doing yes. this, right? Yes. How did you know when you were in your 20s that you were right. How did you get the ability to have that conviction that the person that you wanted for a role was really the right person? Where did that come from in, within you? I don't know. It's an instinct. I mean, you can't go to school and learn it. It's just a feeling. You know, people either... You can, you can see it. Sometimes people can go to acting school forever and they just don't have it. And... It's just an innate feeling. I don't know. It's just, I mean, luckily, it wasn't just me. I mean, there was, you know, it's a collaborative group of people that put together a movie. But I do think the casting, I'm very proud to be part of that movie. Uh, but, I, but I can't tell you. It's, it's all instinctual. 
So uh, you worked on The Godfather and uh, The Godfather 2, <clears throat> excuse me, which was considered to be one of the greatest sequels of all time. Uh, but Godfather 3 did not fare quite so well. What did you make of Godfather 3, and especially in the casting of some of the other roles that came up as, as new characters? Okay, so I was no longer involved. One of my best friends did Godfather 2, Jane Feinberg. And I don't know who did Godfather 3, but it's ironic. I had become an agent, and I was representing Winona Ryder. And Winona decided she was thrilled when she got the role, and then she decided she didn't want to do it. And so she walked off the movie, and they had cast George Hamilton instead of paying Robert Duvall. And then they were up against the wall, and Francis put his daughter in, and it just it didn't work. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, you mentioned that there's a scene in that movie when when his daughter, the daughter's character is killed, right? Dies. Or, yeah, I forgot now if she was killed or she dies, but she dies. It was the only time in a movie when I saw it, people. I hate to say this, but it, it you know, people in the theater actually applauded that she oh, no. died because they thought she was really awful. And the, you know, it, it's true. They just thought she was so bad. They applauded when she died. And that was I've never no, seen that Charles, happen. They before. were applauding her death scene. No, she no, no, so well. Yeah, no, no, no. They were. Did Did you ever cast uh, before you became an agent and you were casting? Did you ever cast something and then? When the film came out, sit back, and maybe you never admitted it to anybody except yourself. Did you ever think, yeah, I got that one wrong? This is going to sound so arrogant, but I didn't. No, so, so you got it. You think you were spot on all the time. I, well, you know, I, but again, it's collaborative. Um, right. But I think, you know, with Love Story, Ali was set, and we tested so many people to play. Um, <clears throat> oh, my God. I'm trying to remember the name of the character, her husband. And Ryan O'Neill was amazing. But, you know, you just, I can't explain it. You just see it. When you, when you see it, you know it. Just know it. All right, thank you so much. Uh, so much Hollywood history sitting in the room with us right now, and it's quite an honor to meet you, casting director and Hollywood agent uh, Andrea Eastman. And with a great story, tell us the name of the uh, book again so that people can pick that up. Thank you. It's on Amazon. It's everywhere. Trooper. T-R-O-O-P-E-R at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Will that be a movie? You know, I hope And who would you cast as the dog? Oh, wow. <laughs> I think you have to have a great voice with a sense of humor. Ah. And a charm. Ah, okay. I, I mean, I particularly love Gabriel Byrne. Mm. Um, Good choice. Thank you. You should be a casting director. Yeah. You've got a future I'll, in this business. I'll, I'll think about it. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Uh, Andrea Eastman, thank you so much for uh, joining us today on KNX In-Depth. That'll do it for In-Depth for today. We'll be back tomorrow.